Welcome back to the DJ Sessions, where we feature the best DJs and producers from around the world. I'm your host, Darren, and right now I'm sitting in the virtual studios in Seattle, Washington, and on the other end, right over there, yeah, well, he's actually in Germany, is <laughs> Roman, a.k.a. Toka Disco. How's it going today? Hey, man, how's it going? It's all good. It's all good. I, I should actually say tonight, because it's 8 p.m. over there and 11, 11 a.m. over here, PST. So thank you so much for coming on board. We always love getting people from all over the world on the show at all hours of the day, except for when I'm sleeping. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So I was going through some of your socials and taking a look at you, and, and we'll talk about your DJ career. But it's always interesting to me when I, I talk or research people um, that are DJs to find out they're also do other things with their life. Um, and it could be a, a multitude of things ranging from music, working out, car collecting, whatever it is. Well, in my research, I found out that you actually play the guitar. I was checking out your Instagram and, and you have a, a project or you go by Roman Vintage uh, in that. Can you tell us a little bit about your acoustical or you, that musical venture that you have called Roman Vintage? Well, the thing is that I, st I started to play um, like older music when I was starting to play prof professional DJ DJing. Um, I was playing like jazz and soul and funk, this kind of things. And Roman Vintage is a jazz and funk project that I have with another singer. And there I play only instruments and we do like cover versions and own songs and stuff like that. And but basically I, I started to play drums when I was 10 years old. I had like a private teacher and this was really the only instrument that I really got taught by somebody else. And the other instruments that I taught myself, like guitar, bass, piano, and this kind of stuff, uh, I, I learned over the years playing in bands and, you know, starting to teach myself and about harmony and all this kind of things. I still can't read notes. I'm always trying every like three quarter year. I'm always sitting down. I'm like, OK, now it's time for music theory. Learn it. And I'm just like, nah, it's so complicated. I just do everything by feeling, you know. You know, growing up in a musically inclined family, my brothers were in a band and my, my dad had produced studio or purchased studio gear for them when I was a kid. I think I was playing with MIDI when I was eight years old and uh, reading the manuals and the tech manuals. And I always found myself being more of a technical kind of guy. There weren't computers back then, so you didn't learn music and use software based music creation. But, you know, we had a Tascam four track recorder, another eight track recorder had keyboards and rack mounts and all that stuff. And the thing I loved about it was I was never a musician. I, I would never consider myself a musician. Maybe now with modern techniques and modern software, I could go in and create some songs. And I've had to do some scoring, minimal scoring for projects I've worked on. But that process always fascinated me uh, of somebody able to take something and, and put it down and, and bring it to fruition in the sense of creating something out of nothing, um, you know, which is, which is, you know, again, I think has gotten, I don't know, I would say gotten easier, especially in the sample based world where you can grab things and kind of tweak it and put it here. But we are actually creating something like you said, you don't know how to read notes, but, or maybe you do maybe have an understanding of them, but you know, you've had to learn and teach yourself over time how to do that. Um, what has that process been like? Like you've, you feel it's it's uh, rewarding to take that stance and not pursue, say, a formal education and just go with it? 
or what well, you know i think that you know what you're referring to is like you know people that are classically classically trained like an uh, like you know a real musical writer or something like somebody like beethoven or, or mozart or whatever they could just write down the music by the notes you know and i think that because i started you know with cover music and then i started to produce electronic music which is always like only like a simple basic you know uh, musical structure there's not no complicated chords i mean over the years last 15 years become a little bit more complicated with all the you know influences of deep house and you know if you make like jazz house or whatever of course you have like more complicated chords but basically you can make a you know like a tech house or a techno track on one note you know you just be like e and you just like you know make a baseline like that and um you know that's the difference i think it's just a different of uh, musical styles you know you could never write orchestra music without knowing uh, something about you know chord structure and, and notes and everything it's just the music that we are or I, me is i'm mostly doing it's like electronic music which is basically only like three to four chords and you know a keynote and and then you build some beats around it Yeah. And, and like I said, I, I, I've dabbled. I used to, uh, back in the day, used to be pretty well versed in, in logic, um, the Apple software. Um, after working for Apple, I was a certified trainer on how to train people, how to use the software, but I was in no way, shape or form a musician to teach music theory, composition or anything like that. I could, I could tell you how to master, like where to click and where to go to, to do stuff, but nope, it was beyond. But again, I went to video production And, and wanted to make TV shows and movies where my brothers were more musically inclined and they, they did the band stuff. So, um, but we all find our own, our own ways of, of becoming artistic in our own ways. And I did a lot of trial and error in the field as well. I never went to any formal school or training um, to, to learn. And I, I think that's hitting the streets like that is, is beneficial because um, you get to, you get to play a lot and learn a lot on your own rather than somebody programming you saying, this is how the book goes and this is what you have to do. And you maybe break out of that shell. I started to work with logic when it was still a, a magic, you know, like the basic <laughs> company that invented logic before <laughs> Apple bought it. And before that, my first official remixes that got released on vinyl and, and stuff like that. I just, you know, this Roland MC 303 is like a workstation with like the basic sounds like 909, 808 in it. Yeah. And then you could trigger Uh, via um, uh, MIDI out and then I bought like an Akai 1000 and afterwards an Akai 3000 and you could just connect the MIDI and then trigger like from this music station as if you were pro for example playing a snare and then you started the sample and that's how I basically did my first productions you know before i couldn't afford a computer or a mac or whatever you know they were super expensive i was like you know 20 i didn't have any money and that was the only thing how i could make music but the interesting is, thing is though that you have like very you know you have just two things and do something with it you know what i mean and now you have like 5,000 plugins 6,000 uh, soft synths and stuff like this and many people get lost in the opportunity uh, in the possibilities you know i'm always a fan of like Just have two things that you really like and, you know, produce with that. It, it's funny you brought up the rolling gear and that takes me back to almost 2000 um, when I actually bought, I actually owned at one point uh, a Roland MC505 and the SP808, the sampler. And I, I went and sat in Guitar Center and probably played with that thing for about seven months to a year because it was about two grand <laughs> to buy these things. And I remember seeing the, the as the AKAI 1000 was there 
I think that's what you mentioned. And it just brings back all those memories of almost 20 years ago before computers were so prevalent. And I mean, even to go buy a Mac computer at that time, you know, you were still looking at four or five grand up until now that same Mac that you could go buy today. If you wanted to, I've looked at the prices of Macs. If you want to price that, you're looking at 50, 60 grand. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Like you don't need that much power unless you're doing like true, like 8k editing or something like that. But Aside from that, I think you're right. Technology has made it easier for people to jump in and not have to buy so many hardware components, Um, you know, but again, getting lost in what do you do? Where do you go? What do you start with? How much do you throw it at? What sticks to the wall? Um, You know, just so many, so many added variables rather than saying, this is the machine. This is what I have to work with. Um, So it sounds like you, you kind of, you were a software guy, but you played with hardware um, you know, are you currently using any, any software or hardware right now? Well, uh, I recently, you know, a long time, I think the last big studio computer was a Mac pro that I bought in 2011. And then, you know, you know how it is after 10 years, you can't use it anymore because you can't update the things anymore. So I just recently updated everything and now I'm actually working on a laptop, you know, <laughs> that's just, it's just a, it's just a laptop anymore. So just a laptop with a sound card and some, some dongles on the outside and, and everything is in the box. And then I record my guitars or if I use acoustic, uh, like electronic pianos like roads or whatever just uh, i have a a tube uh, preamp and then i just record it into the computer and you know manipulate it there yeah no i i I know the track record of max like i said i used to work for apple and i had my uh my dual g5 in 2003 i think i ran that thing oh i think it lasted till about 2012 11 ish about 10 years but they don't make them like they used to anymore sorry apple can't give you the plug i mean (laughs) it lasts about three four years now and um unfortunately um but yeah development of 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 things and then now i'm still hesitant to update my 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 uh, system because I'm, you know, I, I, I want to use the latest version of Logic, but I have to update all the system and I know exactly what's going to happen. Nothing else is going to work, you know, and then you have to pay there $30 there, $50 there and upgrade there. And in the end, you end up with a lot of money spent for just, you know, having the latest version. So just keeping it right now, it's all working. So that's it, you know, until something really spectacular comes out, I just work with that system now. I once had somebody that said when they bought a brand new Mac, and they put all their software on it and they never would connect it to the internet. (laughs) That way, no auto updates would happen. They get the most stable release and just say, boom, and just never connected to the internet. And that way it just worked all the time. No no little 0.1 updates, 0.2 updates, 0.5 updates, nothing in the background that's gonna throw anything off. But yeah. yeah, and again, I think you're right. The portability has come come to where now. I'm. I mean, I'm on a MacBook Pro right now. I just got this one uh, with the M1 chip, and it it smokes. Over two years ago, I had a, a um, the old processor that I got in yeah. 2019, and night and day. But again, how long is this one going to last? But brings me to an interesting question, though. Um, you know, technology moves pretty fast in, in, the, in the music production world. And if there was one thing that you would like to see out there that's not on the market today, but maybe could be out on the market or could be put together, what would that be? 
Well, you know, I always, I always say this because I was just involved in uh, building a complete studio last year and we bought all kinds of gear. Um, you know, I was like, I basically to told them what to buy. So, and we bought a lot of like classic gears and classic outboard gear and stuff like this. But basically all the th synths are based on the same technology. You know, it's just a sine wave or it's a wave wave or whatever, you know, and there's no, I mean, okay, you have like, a little bit of new development, but you don't have really like synths that are based on a completely new technology. You know what I mean? It's like how, how to manipulate sound in a different way. Of course, we all love the classical Moog sounds. We all love, you know, the great Jupiter brass or whatever, but there's not something where you, where you can say like, wow, nothing ha has been like this for the last 10 years and this is completely uh, a revolution in sound or whatever. Nothing, I mean, you, if you think about it, when the synthesizer was invented, you know, it's already like 30, 40 years ago, and we're still using the same kind of sounds or generated the same kind of sounds. Of course, we have some creative sound designers that always come up with a new way of manipulating it. Now you have like, I don't know, five oscillators or whatever, but it's still the same on the same basis. And I, I would hope, or I would think that somebody comes up with complete new way of, the, of creating sounds, you know? I, I think that would be really interesting. You know, and, and speaking with some producers over the last few weeks, um, finding those unique sounds. Um, I was uh, speaking uh, with, oh, I hope I don't murder his last name, but Robert Babazic. Oh, gosh, I, I always I murdered his last name. I'm sorry, Robert. Robert Babichum. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. You know who I'm talking about. And yeah, he was telling me this story about how he was one of the most dangerous times he ever things he ever did to collect sounds that he would use in a, in a track. And he actually went up and they were recording. Uh, they captured a hornet's nest and got this <laughs> hornet's nest in a bag and then would put the microphones up to it and record the sound of the, and it was hornet. It wasn't like regular bees. Like I'm a friendly little bumblebee, like hornets. And he's like, that could have gone really bad. had <laughs> something happened and like they all attacked. So you know, the lengths that people will go to get those original sounds or those sounds you just can't get that are almost like nature made. I was talking with him in the same interview and I said, I had a guy come to me or I saw somewhere online, it was either in an interview or somebody told me that he took the sound of an MRI machine. And those, I was just in one on Sunday, but don't ask why, no big deal. <laughs> um, but I was sitting there going, this is actually kind of like a beat. Like I could... I can get down to this. There you go. Yeah, right. You're like jamming in the MRI session, you know. But I mean, um, this is like sound design, and, and this, of course, has been around also for a long time. Just record things, slow them down, pitch them down, and all yeah. stuff. You know, different mode or the whole uh, EBM, not EDM uh, uh, evolution, like Front Two Four Two, Nitsa app, or whatever. They had like all these industrial sounds, you know, stamped like a sledgehammer on iron and used it as a snare and stuff. I guess. But what I meant was like, you know, have some synthetic sounds like synths or whatever that come up with some completely new way of creating sounds, you know? I mean, yeah. this is for my, I mean, we have these wavetables and all this stuff. This is kind of, you know, different than normal oscillators, but I'm waiting for something that is like really, really, you know, different than anything else that you ever heard before, you know? That would be super interesting. 
You know, um, that kind of jumps me ahead to a question I want to get into, but I'll, I'll lead into that. We'll, we'll, we'll follow up with that in a minute. But um, if you could go back 25 years in music history or forward 50 years in music future, which one would you pick and why? I would go in the future. I've been <laughs> in the past. So, you know, I because I am so interested in so, uh, so many different music styles, you know, like also different music genres and times and stuff like this. I'm not like only focused on electronic music. I have like, you know, all kinds of records and stuff like this, but it's always interesting to see where it's going, you know, because this is the unknown, nobody knows, you know, and uh, that would be super interesting. You know, probably we just be like, beeps and you know noises and everybody will be like you know doing crazy shit or something like this nobody knows where it's going well at least at least it didn't really turn into what buck rogers looked like in the early 80s and 70s <laughs> which was like the disco with the light thing i guess we still do have the light chords that we can i don't know if you remember that or not but uh it was it was pretty disco themed and that was going to be the future was disco music in the space age theme you know it's which funny is because i just recorded my radio show and i was like saying uh, 2022 and i when when i was like young you know and somebody would say like 2022 i would think like people would fly with cars or they would fly themselves or they had some jetpacks or whatever you know it sounds so futuristic the you know the the the, the year the number of the year but i mean it's still the real revolution didn't happen so maybe 50 years from now would be really interesting I, I'm still interested in those flying cars. And what I mean is, is the, the, the versions that you see of basically the, the oversized drones, you yeah, know, that, that, that you can right. like, okay, are those going to be a reality that people are going to start, okay, using them all over the place? I, I'd love to see, but we have the FAA here. So I don't know yeah. if they're going to pass. I mean, I, I started to make a pilot license and I know how restricted everything is and how much you have to learn to do this. And unless it's completely automatic, that you just sit in it and some computer flies you somewhere, I think it's going to be a, very difficult to organize. Yeah. And that, I mean, I'd buy one of those. I had my mom lives, you know, way out on the Island in Washington. And I said, mom, if I ever get your house or move out here to your property, the first thing I'm putting on your property is a helipad <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not going to live out here on the Island in the middle of nowhere. If I can't just bounce into the city and be over there in 15 minutes. You know, yeah. all that fun stuff. I was just seeing, uh, the other day I was seeing an interview with Elon Musk and he, he is trying to go underground. So you have like, you know, many layers under the earth where people go in their cars or whatever. That's the other, uh, that's the other extreme. Instead of going through the air, you go through the... Through the well, uh, when you look at it, I mean, you have buildings that have to go up in the air, but, you know, we have the earth down below and that could be a whole nother subculture, subsidy. I, I could... Definitely see that happening. Um, you know, Elon, I mean, gosh, you know, he is, it isn't like he is, like he doesn't have the money to put some research team on it and develop a prototype project somewhere in some country. Probably already is working on it. We just don't know about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of cool stuff in that, in that realm of technology coming out. And, you know, I, I would have figured your history you would have probably leaned more towards the 50 years music future seeing what if those new things came out um i'm gonna go ahead and jump to a question about the future or or, or the current state of things but looking at the future and your take on virtual reality have you looked at doing anything in a in a vr environment and or looking at what the possibilities of music creation could be in a virtual 
environment with sound creation, sound design in a, in a room um, performing to an audience? Well, the, the, my first real contact with VR was uh, like actually some weeks ago, I was part of an, a museum, did a VR a movie and I was part of it as an actor. And um, they filmed it with like a 3D camera or whatever, and you could turn around and all this kind of things. So and we were just in the green screen and whatever. But let me tell you this. The, the, the interesting thing about being a DJ or an artist or being in a room with other human beings is this connection that you have, although you're not speaking to them, you don't know their name, you know, but somehow you can connect through beats and sounds and there's something else, there's the energy of the room or the festival or the place or whatever. And I think this is something that you can never recreate in VR. Of course, it's fun and it's, it, it's something that's really cool when you have flying things around you and it's like a different thing. But I would never hope for that this um, takes over and then let's say we're, we cannot be together in a club anymore or we cannot be together in a, in a location and share the joy of music you know because there's nothing greater than having like 500 people around you screaming at the same time because some cool baseline dropped in you know this i don't think that you can ever create this with virtual reality or virtually any uh, reality but the real reality you know have you watched the matrix 4 yet <laughs> yeah i watched it. it was a little bit disappointed though yeah, yeah. I, I love I, piano and I love the idea and it's everything, but the movie was a little bit, I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't get the cutbacks to the old movies. This was like taking me out of the movie the whole time because I thought like, but if they cut it like it's it's a video game and, and I saw them as a movie and you know that was a really difficult thing. Yeah, 50-50, 50-50. I was yeah, yeah. a big fan. But some cool scenes and cool acting and cool effects and, for sure. And and following up, going back to the VR um answer to, to follow up with that you know i think you're absolutely correct nothing can replace the physical experience i mean there's no way that my one of my first major festivals that i went to was the eclipse festival in 2017 and if my experience was to say go in that into vr where vr is at right now not 50 years forward from now but right now i would have been like oh okay cool this is neat <laughs> uh, wow but, i mean i would have been impressed but the epiphanies that I had, the experience that I had, the, the contact that I had with human interaction where we didn't have cell phone service. So nobody touched their cell phone for a week, better. <laughs> you know, even better, you know, you're out in the middle of the woods, basically in this beautiful, magical environment with, you know, 50, 60,000 people that were estimated there. And, um, you know, that, that was life changing for me. And I, you're right. I don't think anything could ever replace that in VR, even if it got up to a, a you know, uh, probably another 10, 15 years or whatever's on the R&D table. But it did lead into a Sega I wanted to get into is, have you looked into doing anything with augmented reality or AR and enhancing the physical experience on site? So you could have that. Are, are you familiar with what AR is? No. What do you mean? Uh, were you actually augmented reality? Uh, do you ever play Poke? you ever play Pokemon Go? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <man. laughs> And most people know it because you can you can you can use your phone and you can look at the real world, but it'll impose oh, a Pokemon okay. on the ground. You can play like you're in the real world. Um, oh. But AR has so many uses because the glasses are now coming out and you could have a show or a concert. And part of the added oh. on aesthetic 
you could put your glasses on, be wearing these glasses, be there physically, but then have a complete another user visual experience going on that could be triggered with the music, adding into more stuff into that but physical appearance. Cool. That sounds super cool. I mean, they, they had like different kinds of things, like wannabe holograms there on Coachella of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, of, of dead rappers. And uh, uh, I already saw, I, I don't know if that's the same thing, but I saw like flyers that you can look over with your cell phone and then they have like movies or the flyers moving or something yep. like this. Well, that, that's awesome with, the, with glasses and, you know, and seeing things through, but that's just enhancing then the experience. I think that's super cool. Yeah, I mean, once AR glasses come out more on the market, they get down to sort of what we call the contact lens level or almost the minority report kind of experience where you could have static billboards, but if you're wearing your glasses and they're turned on, you're going to start seeing moving ads on billboards like what you just described. I was talking to a company who actually developed that same technology we're talking about where you put your phone over top of the picture and then the picture starts moving like a video, but then when you pull your phone away, the video is still playing in your phone. Um, oh, they were, okay. they, they were primarily selling that in the beginning, they were looking at it for like a yearbook applications for schools. So you could take your phone and put it over your yearbook photo and you'd be like, Hey everyone, I'm da -da -da. you know, and we've been looking into it to, to do, I run an advertising agency company and we've been looking into that same technology for the side of our trucks, but now we've installed video walls on the side of the truck. So don't really need to do that, <laughs> but um, no, it's a really awesome. That's part of the whole AR experience. I think that's going to be a huge Thing we're going to start seeing rolling out here over the next two to three years, especially as these glasses come on the market. I'm actually discussing with a venue here in the States to be their um, VR and AR director of coordination for their event space, which holds about seven, 8,000 people. And then we do for when clients and promoters book, they go through us in-house to set up all their VR and or AR experiences. And it's all done. So we know the same quality is going out. So you don't have like 50 people coming in every month trying to do their own thing. And then everyone's like, that sucks. You know, wow, that <laughs> sounds super cool. But I think yeah. that like, if you have like contact lenses, this would be even greater because I mean, didn't Google already try to invent these Google glasses that you have to wear and it's like in front there. And you know, if you go to a 3D movie and then you have to wear this funny glasses that, you know, I don't know if people want to go to a festival with like bulky glasses on, but if it's once, you know, you have contact lenses, then I could really, you know, imagine that that would be a cool, cool thing to have. Yeah. And the, the thought is, is that the glasses will tap into your mobile device. So you won't have to pull your phone out anymore, but you'll have access to everything that's on your mobile device in your, in your glasses. And Apple's working on one. I mean, I'm sure every manufacturer is working on one, but I, I can't wait to see who comes out ahead on this, um, you know, because, you know, meta, the metaverse is coming and the metaverse, I think also encompasses the real world with AR um, as well as three, as well as virtual reality. So very excited on, on those fronts. Um, but yeah, we're, I'm, I'm, my friend told me last night, he says, one of the reasons I love you, Darren, is you're always future forward. You're like 10 years ahead of the game on any of this stuff. And it, it's really fun. Um, but yeah. Um, so talking about, let's go to your DJ career a little bit. Um, I'm talking about a lot of other stuff. Um, what was the first record you ever bought? Is it worth mentioning or is it an embarrassing? <laughs> well, oh, it's probably some cheesy uh, seven inch single that I bought, but my first album that I really remember that I had money for buying a, 
full-length album was uh, Putas Fever by Mano Negra, which is like a French, Argentinian, multi-international multi language uh, um, band. They broke up already. I think they made only three albums, but this really influenced me for my whole musical education because they combined so many musical styles, everything from punk to rock to classical music to polka and you know used all kinds of instruments okay. and, stuff. and this was really really cool uh, in the combination this uh, the the main singer was Manu Chao I don't know if you probably now that he has a mm. solo career he's more known um, this was my first vinyl for sure and then we had like a small record shop uh, when I grew up um, but they didn't have like maxi singles or something like this for this you have to uh, drive to the next big city to to buy like a, a real like techno singles or whatever and he he only had here in a small town he only had uh, like compilations you know like X recordings compilation or whatever and we always waited for this because then you had like two vinyls on each side were like three four tracks and you had like a lot of things to play when you were you know when you were playing as a DJ more than just one single on one vinyl but yeah so this was i i already bought in the beginning like really different kinds of music not only electronic music i will actually i was never like a lot of my friends that were a little bit older than i am they were a lot a lot of them were like in depeche mode into depeche mode and the 80s synth pop things I, I was never interested in that so much. I was always more into like all kinds of music, you know, or international music. And I always, I always liked people that were combining different kinds of styles, like Beastie Boys or Moby or you know these kind of artists that you know took things from everywhere and created their own style. Mm -hmm. I still remember that B sides, the Beastie Boys B sides album. They're all like it was the full instrumental. I think one of the best produced instrumental albums i've heard in a while i mean there's millions out there i'm not discrediting anyone but just from my youth remember hearing that and it was such a different twist from obviously coming out of license the ill to paul's boutique which has been heralded as one of the best produced albums of all time um that didn't get much fanfare um there was some history on that back in the day but then going to check your head where they this came is back one and of my favorite albums i love yeah. it that's, that's really one that's really because what you're saying the the evolution between all the things that they were doing yeah. you know and 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 like check, checking different kinds of things and then you know remembering because they started as a hardcore punk band right and yeah. so they were like okay so now we did everything i mean it was produced by the dust brothers uh, uh paul's boutique and they were sampling from everywhere and there was like i don't know eight thousand samples in this album and then they were like hoping that this would be you know financial success and didn't work out so they started to to take their instruments uh, up again and they were jamming you know they bought a warehouse and then they were just recording the stuff and this like the transition from everywhere from license to ill to post boutique to check your head was such amazing for me like that you could do this you know there's yeah. an artist that doesn't do the same thing over and over it's just you know developing and and also failing you know that's it but i love the album but maybe not many people loved it but i loved it post boutique is really cool because if you if you are looking for all the samples that they were using, you will find some really awesome music because the artists that they were sampling are great in themselves, you know. And then if you go there and it's like, who, what did the Beastie Boys sample? And then you buy the record and you listen, oh, this is fucking great music, you know. Yeah. And that's this is I love this you know whole universe of them. 
And if, if you could share one track with our DJ Sessions audience that you currently play, like is on your, it must go into a set right now. I love hearing this every time. What track would that be? And, and describe in detail why it's such a great track or production. Wow. That's of course it's super super difficult because getting so many tracks sent all the time through all this promo service, which is awesome because you know I because you can sometimes you can click which musical styles you like you know and I'm always clicking everything so I'm getting like all kinds of styles sent. Um, but the one track that was last year I think came out last year and uh, the few months that we had where the clubs were open here in Germany. I, I hammered that track and as I think it's called The Curve by Adana Twins. And it's like really, it starts like really cool and, it's, and it has a cool beat. And then all of a sudden it goes, it goes really crazy. And I, because, you know, I like more energetic sounds, you know, that's like, I also like when it's like sounding a little bit off or, or detuned or, you know, all of a sudden there's a part in the track that goes like really like, everybody's like what and then it comes back to base you know and and i think this track is really cool because the build-up is really slow it, it's it's getting stronger and stronger and then the main part is like super crazy and then it drops down back and then it's like really groovy again i really love that track nice nice well i'll have to go look that up and you go look that up too dj sessions fans and asking on the same line of favorite tracks who's your favorite dj and can you tell us why Wow, that's super difficult because <laughs> I I I always I always um, I never had the feeling like when I go somewhere because I know how it works because the the, the artist stands for something and he has to play the music that he stands for. But I always like people that play like different sounds. And now I have to say some DJ that I actually never heard playing, but I know that he would uh, that he's playing the way. I would really, really like it. And that's, it's a shame because I, I really want to go to one of his sets and it's Laurent Garnier because he plays like deep house and then he plays like drum and bass and then he plays like hip hop and then he plays like a dub track or whatever. And he gets a lot of shit for it because people come there because he has like some techno hits or whatever and they expect him to play like this. But he's like really like doing his thing and then drops it down, goes to drum and bass goes back to techno, goes back to house, plays a soulful house track and stuff like this. That's at least what I heard. So if I, I this this would be definitely a DJ that I want to hear. I want to be surprised by a DJ, you know? It's really it's seldom that I go to a DJ set where I'm like, wow, this music is great and I don't know any track. You know, this happens like really, really seldom. But if it happens and even it's a resident of a club or somebody that I don't know, then I'm really like, you know, I'm getting like really into the groove and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. You know, and then I'm like shazamming it under my hand and stuff like this. And, you know, this is like, these are the DJs that I really like, you know? Yeah. One of the things I found after, after nightclubbing for 30, almost, well, about 30 years of my life um, going out is that I like to now get out of my environment, get out of my local scene and go to other cities and, and nightclub there where I don't know, basically don't know anyone. And I'm going in and the experience that all I get to focus on, I mean, maybe it might be the aesthetics of the environment of the club, but really you have to watch the performer. If you want to have a good time, you're there to watch the artist and you can now focus 100% on that. And you're not talking to 50 people. You're not being distracted. You know, you're there with an intent and purpose of the music and only the music. Um, 
last year I went to, for my birthday, I went to the Brooklyn Mirage. I don't know if you've ever heard of that club or played that club before. It's in New York, beautiful club, beautiful venue. And it kind of just changed my whole perspective of, of saying, okay, I am, well, if travel permitted this year, <laughs> I will be going to more countries, to bigger clubs and getting out there um, and, and, and having that experience because then I can become, I don't want to say just the number in the crowd, but I, I'm just there and it's me and my bubble focusing on what, what's going on, which is the music um, without, without all the, without anything. I think that's going to, it, it's a very invigorating experience. And so, you know, if I went to that show to that DJ, you just mentioned to go see him play, I'd probably be like, this is the, this is awesome. This is amazing. I, I wouldn't know what to expect because I'd walk in and be like, this is wow. You know, whereas if somebody was doing that in my hometown, you know, 30 times a year, I might walk in. I'm like, OK, I'm going to stand over here by the bar. He's, yeah, he's just playing the same, you know, yeah. same thing. So I, I you like know, the problem is also that the, the possibility to become a DJ right now is very, very easy for everybody. And, uh, you know, nobody needs to travel somewhere to buy cool vinyls or whatever. You know, you just download everything. And this is now obviously for some use. But this made uh, a lot of people um, get to into a specific style and they stick in one style because it's easier to market, to do marketing for it and to create your brand, your one, you know, you have your name, you play one style and that's it. But that was never something for me that I was interested in as a DJ, you know, what I mentioned before is like there's so many good music out there and there's so many styles and all kinds of stuff. If you have the right crowd and you can play whatever you want, you know, that's like the most fulfilling feeling that you can have. Like if they follow you from, I mean, I used to play in Belgium and Belgium has like a really uh, good radio, uh, uh, public radio stations. They play all kinds of music like Prodigy, then Britney Spears, then uh, uh, the Neptunes, then Nerd and then, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, uh, on a daily basis so they have a lot of musical knowledge and then you can go there and you can play just different styles and you see that the crowd is just coming along you know with the stuff that you're coming up in the moment that's like the most amazing feeling for a DJ you know it's like everybody can go and play 50 hits you know I can teach my mom here yeah 50 hits play them and everybody will be like oh my mom's a great DJ you know what it's not this is not what DJing is about you know like of course everybody can know well-known songs that's really really easy but if you can play for people that expect something different and then you play the tracks in the right moment and you feel this energy come together that's like the most amazing thing absolutely that leads right into my next question perfectly if you were to play a party where only 20 people showed up for would you finish your set and make it a hell of a party Or would you consider it not a success? Well, I, I would never start. If you mean if I would be like, oh, let's shut down. It's nobody coming. Everybody goes. No, I, I stay until the end, man. I, I, I make party with the 20 people. That's it. You know, we get out some Jaeger bombs or whatever, and then rock the party, you know. There you go. Oh, speaking of which, what, what is your drink of choice before you go on stage? Well, I, I, used, I used to drink... Um, I used to drink Jägermeister and beer. Then I got into uh, gin tonics, but then you can't drink too much gin tonics because they're so strong. You know, it's always it's it depends on what what mood I am in. But usually I drink, you know, one, two Jägermeisters and, uh, and a couple of Red Bull or whatever if I'm tired and then 
that's enough to get in the mood. Yeah, I, I definitely understand the caffeine kick there. <laughs> um, and if you could host your own event without any limitations, name five things you would want to have at that event. Well, I always thought about, you know, because I made, I did my own party like 2013 and the years after here in, in Cologne, a big party with big DJs. But I, what I always wanted to do, and that was funny because you said this with virtual reality and this kind of things, was like to set up a, a, a dance floor with mo multiple speakers surrounding the dance floor. And then somehow it would be cool to separate the, the, the sounds of the, of the tracks and have them have like a joystick or something like this, where you can just move the sounds around to people. You know what I mean? Like this... Of course, it's like 5.1 or, or even uh, Atmos, uh, Dolby Atmos or something like this, you know, something around this, this idea. And if you go a little bit more further and that, that was what I was thinking that you were, that you were talking about was like this immersive uh, uh, event, you know, of, obviously you're talking about digital enhancement of, of the experience, but if you could have the sound experience, uh, connected with the light experience, but not like a stage where everybody has to look in front, but it's around you, you know what I mean? And then you would have also like uh, the possibility of having smells, for example, you know, like all of a sudden smells like you're in, in, in the woods or whatever, you know? I was always interested in something like this, like to create like an, really like an experience there's not like a party, but you're in some other world. You know what I mean? And then I always liked, obviously, I liked uh, always uh, performers, but not like go-go dancers, but performers that really tell a story, you know, that have like, for example, crazy costumes or whatever. And um, we, we had a party there also in the same location uh, called Looneyland, which started the whole thing. Now it's like the, you know, the arrow parties, you know, something like this, it, it, this kind of style we had also, also, but the arrow part is more like a carnival, I think, more like, you know, confetti and some people wearing costumes, stuff like this. But if you have this kind of things, you have your sound, you have the lights, you have smell, and then you have like participants, like actors or performances that, you know, you're like in the middle and you're like, what the hell is going on? Something like this, you know, this will be a really, really cool party, I think. Well. I think that's like, if you mention like dancers or go-go or -go dancers or stage performers, I think what you'll be able to see also is you'll have these stage performers where they'll be on, on site, but they might have devices on them that they're wearing and they might be costume on stage. But when you put the AR glasses on, you'll see an overlay of costume go oh, on them. And you might even be able to change the experience of the costumes that they're wearing. But no matter what, those costumes are going to be mapped to them as they're dancing or as they're moving on the stage. So if you want to see aliens, you can see aliens. If you want to see furries, you can see furries. If you want to see whatever it is, and you can see that superimposed over top of the experience, and you could create that experience. But or you can just make it one universal experience as well. I think that the the things that are going to happen <laughs> with AR and, and, and like you said, Atmos and these things coming out, obviously it always starts out really expensive in the beginning. Somebody first does it like a, like a insomnia. Well, here in the States it'd be insomniac or live nation or one of the big, big tours, David Guetta or somebody at Coachella somewhere, you know, does it. And then everyone else starts going, how do we do this at a smaller scale level? And just always being on top of that technology is, 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 it's always changing. It's always moving forward. It's always awesome.
Um, but uh, going back just a little bit to your DJ career, so I got a couple other questions I want to talk to ask you is when it comes to PR and marketing, what measures do you take to actively promote yourself, your releases and, and your career? And do you think solid PR management is an important asset for DJs to have? Of course, it is. Uh, it, 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 that's one of the most difficult things uh, to do because you you make the music, but how do you get it to the people? And it, this, uh, the way is constantly changing. And I think it's more difficult now because more people produce music and it's just a huge pile of music that comes out every day. And how do the people find the music, you know? And what I experienced over the years, like when the internet started, I was like, convinced that this is a great opportunity now everybody's gonna listen to only the coolest music and you know it's like a it's like a more or less like a revolution and, and all this you know radio barriers and stuff like this they will break down but it, unfortunately it didn't happen radio is still super important and you know advertising all stuff can break a uh, make a hit or this kind of like voice tv shows or whatever you know this is an this is a different evolution that happened but um i think super diff difficult and, and there's a, a lot of lot of uh, companies that provide this and obviously they cannot guarantee you that what you pay them for is going to happen because in the end it's always about the music and it can also be that some kid in a bedroom made a track and put it on soundcloud and then thousands of people sh shared it and it became hit but it can also be that you're as an established artist put out a track and the PR sends to every radio to every newspaper or whatever and they all say like nah, yeah, it's nice but we're not going to future it or whatever you know so it's really really it's really you can spend a lot of money on this and then you have to see what is what what is it worth you know what I mean it's like I, I pay I, I did last year I did an album and I paid a PR company also a lot of money to get it around and obviously they made reports and they said this and that but in the end i was like okay but if i spent just the 10 grand on facebook advertising or whatever you know we probably would have get a much more exposure out of it you know now i know that the people in some radios didn't like the music but what does that help me you know what i mean so how do you get to the consumer directly that's the big question. And that's the, that's the question if you need really an agency or if you can do it yourself on a different, you know, it's not, if you're not talking like whatever Ariane Grande uh, worldwide release of a single or whatever, this is obviously another game. But I mean, for techno and house DJs, I don't know if you really would need like a huge PR company because they cannot guarantee you that music's going to be heard or successful, you know? So maybe you just start, if, I'm, if I would give somebody a tip just start small, you know, pay $50 or whatever for a small DJ promotion and then see what these people say. If there's a lot of positive feedback, maybe invest more. But it's very difficult because there's so much noise for everybody and everybody's just this track and then six weeks later, they will never play it again. So I would be really careful spending a lot of money on this kind of thing. And, and that's what I've been telling people uh, over the course of the last few years is that this business can be very expensive. The entertainment industry is, is, I was once told 20 years ago by a good friend of mine, right before I did my first interview, first celebrity interview with Paul Oakenfold, I was interviewing him on the couch and I said, hey, is there any Cinderella stories in the business? 
<laughs> and he goes, no, Darren, everyone that starts out and they get big, it takes them years and years and years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that was before live streaming to really come out. All we had was really broadcast television. YouTube had just come out at that point. So from a video producer wanting to distribute, we were locked to television or public access, you know, and you had to pay to buy your time slots to get on television. And then you had to find sponsors, obviously, to recoup your money back based upon the viewerships that you had. And if your show costs you literally on paper, 50 to 100,000 to produce, but the only time slot you could get into warranted $2,000 in sponsorships, you're, you're severely underwater, but you're playing to get those network credentials. So then you can pitch them to a studio and say, Hey, pick up our show and then cut us a check as the executive producer company. And um, I've always known that it's been, I don't want to call it a rich kid's game, but (laughs) you know, you're going to have to put, and, and, and I get it that time behind the decks, time researching tracks, time making the music is all great, but PR, you can't be everything. And I've had a number of people over the years also say, when I took the PR out or when I took my, when I was trying to make a label and I, I had somebody else do the PR, I had somebody else do the label and I could go back to focusing on what I do best is making the music. I catapulted and went way further than I could ever come trying to manage it all and do it all myself, you know? And, and now that's you got that's, that's a very important point that to focus on something that you can do best. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, you know? And I mean, if you're talking about video production and, of course youtube came came out and if, if you watch some tutorials of filmmakers or directors or whatever they nowadays they you know whatever martin scorsese would say like oh yeah okay you can now make a movie on your cell phone and then you put it on youtube and stuff like this yeah you can do that but there's a ten thousand people <laughs> that do this every day you know that's not the point of course you can do it but how do you get through the noise that's the that's the funny thing and and i think still people don't know exactly how like it's the same thing like somebody pretends to know how to make a hit nobody knows you know what i mean they know like of course they can you can try this and you can try that and you can copy a little bit of what is uh, uh, at the moment what is hip and stuff like this but nobody knows and that's the same thing with you know for some people it's going to happen for some people it's not and there's a little bit of luck involved <laughs> it is that's the truth everything with art it has a little bit of luck that two people can do the same thing and one has a little bit more luck and, you know, he lifts off and he can live his life as a musician. And the other one starts a, a you know, regular job and just dreams of, uh, of being an artist. It's just the reality, you know? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's the drive, the passion, all that have to be there networking skills, reaching out. I was talking with somebody the other day and, and said, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. And, you know, if, 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 if that person just took one more shot than you did, you could take 99 shots and they took that hundred shot, that hundred shot could be the one, or maybe you stopped at 99 and they stopped at 500, but they did 401 more shots than you did. Not only are they going to be more trained and more seasoned and understand they put up with more of the process um, than the person who stops, but you got to just keep pushing it and going. I mean, geez, I've been doing this this show for 12 years now and uh took us took us a few years to to finally get recognized um by by twitch which we're happy with that relationship to make us a featured partner and and you got to look at all the hurdles to become a featured partner it wasn't easy they just don't onboard everyone and 
You know, it isn't just, hey, I got a cell phone. I got a live streaming channel. Well, we'll make you a featured partner. You know, we had to put in a lot of work, a lot of blood, sweat, tears and free time, I might add, <laughs> you know, to make yeah. things happen. And um, well, but now where we're like, at. And, the thing is with the, with art is that if you have to ha have a real passion for it and you want to put your uh, devote your whole life for it. If you're just looking for fame and money and, you know, girls and party or whatever, it, it will wear you out at, over the time because you will always hit some borders. You will always get to some naysayers. You will always have disappointments and stuff like this. And only the people that are really, really passionate for what they are doing, they will go through it. And that's it. You know, I mean, I, how many people I know that were DJs when I was, you know, 10 years ago, they, they are not DJs anymore. They're not artists anymore. They're having regular jobs, family and house and wife, you know, and I'm, I'm still doing it. But I'm not, I didn't choose, like, I was not like, oh, what, what job could I do? Oh, DJ, it sounds to be a really good thing. No, it was like, I wanted to be an artist. And I wanted to be involved in music. And this was just one part of entertaining people. You know, you travel alone, you have less cost than with a band or whatever. And this was just, you know, a development. But in the base, basic core was always the passion for music. You know, I didn't, I was not, I didn't care if I do this or that, if I play there with the guitar or if I play there with turntables. For me, it's the same thing, you know, it's just, you know, being involved in music and stuff like this. And this is something if you ask also, what is success for an artist or what, what are you ever going to achieve success with what you're doing? I think living this life is already success enough, you know? Okay. Of course, if you make some more money or you have more fame, this is an add on, but if you can have a living, living everything that you love and that you have a passion for, I mean, how amazing is that? You know, that's, that's already a, a super success for me at least, you know? I was, I was in a development class uh, when I was going to college for my second degree a couple of years ago. And two things I wanted to bring up, one touching base on the YouTube mention that you made earlier about 10,000 people uploading videos on YouTube. In 2016, it's actually YouTube was pinged at getting a million videos a minute uploaded to <laughs> YouTube. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I just wanted to touch base on that one. But going forward, uh, same year, I was taking a self-development class and they the teacher, um, it was a case like kind of assess your own strengths, weaknesses kind of thing, prepare you for the job market class. And one of the things she did in the class was she showed this video of this guy. I can't remember his name, but the story is he lives on Venice Beach and all he does all day long is just roller skate up and down Venice Beach. And he did this for years and everyone kind of knows this guy. Well, this one guy stopped him one day and said, hey, what's your backstory? I mean, you can't just be roller skating full time for a job. And the guy said, oh, I used to be a major real estate investor. I made millions and millions and millions of dollars in real estate, all this stuff. And then one day I just didn't like it anymore. It was just bogging. It just wasn't self-fulfilling. And it just quit everything, dropped everything. Said, I put on a pair of roller skates and just started up and down the beach. And it was a verified story they did with this guy. And, um, you know, the guy just wanted to go out and do what he wanted to do and be passionate about that. And follow, yeah, we probably had millions of dollars in the bank behind them. But that being <laughs> said, was I immediately when the, when the film finished, um, I raised my hand in the class for feedback on the, on the film. And I said, you know, I used to work for corporate America, you know, jobs, making good money, very prominent rise of career up that food chain. And uh, I'd rather be making $30,000 a year doing what I love 
than making $250,000 a year, not loving what I do and making that such an integral part of my life that I only get this amount of time to have fun and I'm not really having fun at my job, you know? Yeah. And, and eventually, yeah, eventually that, that, that 30 grand could maybe turn, like they say, you, you do it long. And if you put 10,000 hours in, you become a master, you know, of what you do and, and, you know, you just keep on honing your skills and then you can eventually start charging for your skills. And maybe that value goes up and up and up a little bit more and you can start making a comfortable living doing what you love doing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the difficult thing is a lot of artists, they don't have that support to fall back on because they're working a day job and then trying to do their hobby, hoping that their hobby does this when their day job's consuming so much of their time, along with sleep and other things, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But um, speaking of job paths, careers, things that you do, I want to touch a little bit on your acting career. And uh, tell us a little bit about that and how you got started in that? Well, I actually studied uh, film in 2013 in, in Los Angeles for a couple of months. And um, I, I actually wanted to live in the States also and work there and, you know, become a director or actor or filmmaker in general. And uh, uh, because I was married with a Brazilian, we didn't couldn't get any like long-term visas because whatever the Americans and the Brazilians always have a little bit of trouble with each other. Um, so I skipped that again. You know, I, I lived in Brazil, then moved to Brazil, opened a bar and restaurant there. And then I came back 2019 to Germany and, you know, and then the pandemic hit and then I was like, okay, so what am I going to do now? And then, um, I was like, okay, well, you, you learned this and you could still do it. And, you know, now you're a little bit older and let's see if there are roles out there or whatever, you know, and then I contacted some agencies and went some, on some websites where they offer jobs and stuff like this. And all of a sudden I got booked and I was like, all right, that's cool. So that's the way I got back into the business. Like really, you know, just looking for something else to make money besides music because everything was shut down and then, open and shut down again you know and after two years all the savings are gone and you need to make some you know you have to have some alternative income yeah and that that's how it started and now for me at the moment it's like really became like a it's funny to say because acting is not a stable job you know it's like you have to you know do castings all the time like you don't get jobs automatically you know but you know, somehow it worked out. So I, I'm, this is like now really my second business. Now I'm doing all kinds of things like advertising um, uh, films and, you know, some, I, I did some great stuff where I played like Nazis and, 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 and policemen and firemen and uh, Roman soldiers and stuff like this. And this for me is like, you know, heaven. I, that's like, because I always like to entertain people and I like to play in what kind of ways. And then, and, you know, amazing. That's, that, that, you know, was really cool. If I, if, if Corona would never happen, I probably would never be, go back to acting. So for me, it's really cool. Another way of express myself. And I was looking at one of your reels and I was wondering, I, I just briefly saw it. I was kind of scanning through. Was that you in that black and white film standing on the edge of the rooftop? Yeah, yeah, that's me. 
Did they, did they pay you extra money for being a stunt double as well in case something happened? Was there a net down below you or a, ba- a bag you could fall on? Or was there it, was a- it was actually, I wasn't actually on the, uh, on the rooftop of the building where I built the studio that I told you last year. Okay. And it, it, just, it just looks like it's really high up, but it's actually just going down two meters and there's another platform. So we, we just, you know, we just put the camera exactly like it looked like, like really high up. Yeah, and then I was I was like, okay, to make it more dramatic, I was just gonna stand up, and then it looks like it's really going like down forty meters or something like this. And it totally did, and I was like, I don't <laughs> see any wires here. I'm wondering like, is there really somebody, fun like what fun. what happens if like a gust of wind happens? And uh, <laughs> oh my, hey, I've done some stupid stuff on the sides of buildings before, but we won't get into that. Uh, um, <laughs> now here's a question: If Hollywood were to make a movie about your life. Who would you pick as the main actor? To, to play me. To play you, yes. What, what do you mean, like, like younger me or like older <laughs> me? Or... Let's say it's your mid-years. Yeah, okay. After you entered the industry, know. but not the last... Take away the first five years, ten, six years. Forget about the last six years. And you in the middle, who, who would that be? If they, could, if they had a range to play a younger self... And your older self, who 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 would you put in that? Well, I mean, the, this guy, what, what, I always forget his last name. Timothy, that was just playing in the Dune. Also, he played had also a small role in uh, Don't Look Up. What's his last name? I don't know. The guy with the jawline, Timothy so and so. He's pretty cool, and he's now. I heard that he, they are making a a movie where he's like Willy Wonka before Willy Wonka became Willy Wonka. I'm really curious to see that movie. That's Timothy that's Timothy Walker. Timothy Chalamet. Exactly. I think this guy would be cool to play. That's let's say the the part of my career that started like from 2003 to 2013 would be good. Okay, that sounds <laughs> interesting. I I could see this. I'm looking at it right now. Um, and you're right. It's uh the name of the film is called Wonka. Uh, scheduled for release in 2023. Wow. I, and I'm a huge Willy Wonka. Got to show you something right now. <laughs> I am a huge Willy Wonka fan. My mom got this book for me. Cool. For Christmas. Uh, you can't, well, you can see it. There you go. I could see it, yeah. The actual paperback of this book. I had this book as a kid, one of my favorite books growing up. I love the Gene Wilder version. Tim Burton version was pretty cool it follows the book a little <laughs> bit more um but i mean after watching the, the the original gene wilder version so many times as a child growing up um you know i'm a huge fan of it but i would definitely i'm, I'm just looking this now while wow, there's even a there's a clip for it i'm gonna have to check this out after the interview um do it, do it. i am a huge I really well heard it's a musical but so i don't know <laughs> if it's gonna be really it's oh. gonna be really cool but the idea is uh it's funny to see how or what he was before he became, uh, because he's kind of like a you know a mysterious man. Like you don't know where he's coming from or what he did before or whatever. Um, but the the idea to have like a prequel of, of what what's of the movie. Yeah, the the story will focus specifically on young Willy Wonka and how he met the Oompa Loompas on one of his earliest <laughs> adventures, which actually <laughs> that is in the book, by the way. Yeah, yeah. He, he talks about how he met the Oompa Loompas and it went down does to their village. And does it say who going to direct it? Paul King. Okay. Uh, who is notably known for, gosh, the internet's a wonderful place. Paul yeah. King, uh, 
let's see the mighty boo. Oh, he did the mighty boosh. So I don't notice too many. I, do you know the show, the mighty boosh? No, I think that's the one with the crazy dreadlock fish guy. Well, tr crazy nope. dreadlock fish guy sounds cool. <laughs> no, no, it's not the mighty bush. I can't remember the name of the one, but it's a crazy ass show. And um, if I find it, I'll email you. I'll email it to you. I'll get the name of it. But uh, I don't notice too much of uh, what this guy is, what the, what the director's done. But that's okay. Probably still be a good story. Yeah. So um, other than that, I, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Is there anything else you want to let our DJ Sessions fans know about before we let you get get to maybe bed over there i don't know what your late nights are like but no i'm going to play in a bar now so it's what it's 10 past nine i'm, I'm putting on my clothes and then i go there to at least and now the all the clubs are closed here so you can't play in a club so um i have these friends they have a small bar so at least i'm, go, I'm getting to play some music um yeah i i, I want to release i have an album ready but i didn't you know quite get to the end of it and um then I talk to people and they, they ask me, oh, why are you doing an album? But for me, it's like, it, it's a different, I could, I, I could release tracks all the time, which is great, which I will probably also do uh, this year. But I, because, you know, we talked a lot about albums and how they were influencing our, our childhood or teenage years or whatever. And I, I really love that tradition of having, uh, you know, possibility to have like 12 tracks and have really like a complete package. You know what I mean? Not like 12 singles or whatever, which it's a little, it's a little bit of an old school approach, but, you know, I'm old school, so whatever. Um, and yeah, and so I will release this album this year, I guess. And um, yeah, I just started to um, record my a radio show again i made it uh, i did a two-year break because i don't know i was just not inspired and you through all this drama and you know all these things so but now i'm kind of like yeah it's it's fun again to do a one-hour radio show we release it every friday on mixcloud.com uh slash toca cabana and uh yeah so these are the, these are the two projects and i hope I, I just had some cool projects coming in as an actor also. So I, I really, really hope that not only for me, but for everybody, it's going to be a great year and we can get over this thing that uh, influenced our life in the last year, last two years so much and be free again. Absolutely. I'm logging in. I just uh, just followed you on Mixcloud. Um, <laughs> cool. um, a curious question. Are you going to be doing any live stream videos uh do you do live streaming or is this like is is the show like basically mixcloud has their live platform that they launched um yeah. not too long ago and um yeah we were we are privy to, to be a featured partner with them as well and so love that platform and it's definitely one of the platforms that i think is going to emerge here in the next soon i'm going to say in the yeah. next soon i don't know when because of all <laughs> Because of what it's, happened, a, it's a plan. It's a plan uh, that, I, that I'm having. Probably not every show, but maybe once a month or something like this. And um, uh, during the first uh, lockdown, I did a lot of um, a lot of shows with where I just I played also synthesizers and drum machines and live uh, instruments with it. If I would do something like this, then I would be really like a concert, like a live thing. 
because I, I don't think it's interesting to watch somebody press buttons for one hour, you know? So I would, you mean, you I mean, you mean 2,200 episodes and 12 years of doing a DJ show and you don't find it interesting. <laughs> ah, I mean, unfollow. Watch, watch somebody do this. You know, but if somebody plays an instrument or he's twisting some knobs or using a drum computer uh, on top of it or something like that, then I would watch it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Or, 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 yeah. or, or some aesthetics, you know, some aesthetics in the background. I mean, I can't yeah, knock I, it. I wanted to say if I have big tits, but that was pretty, that's really, I, I didn't um, say that. Okay. I won't go on the record what they're officially called. It isn't bad, but there is an official term for it. Um, I saw because a friend of mine, uh, Anna Reuss, she's a techno DJ from Germany, and she recorded a live stream uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, she, you know, she was dancing and stuff like that and had like a little bit of a see-through uh, T-shirt. And that was all the guys probably or whatever who was watching it were chatting about. And I mean, of course, she's, you know, a nice looking girl or woman or whatever. But I mean, I mean, that's not what it's about. You know, it's about the music. So the, it should have been about the music that she was playing. And she did a really good comment on her Instagram, you know, addressing the topic and stuff like this, which I, I've, I thought really cool. I, I don't want to be a woman in this business. I think it's really fucking hard already as a man. But as a woman, you have like so much more things you know, that you have to take care of and control while you're playing and stuff like this. But uh, yeah, she handled it pretty good. And um, let's see. Awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, seeing the rise of the streaming, online streaming happening in 2020, um, you know, we were just getting ready to go to back to the front page of Twitch and getting everything with licensing set up and all this great stuff. And then boom, March hit. And I tell you, my phone... I probably fielded within the first month, month and a half, over 150 inquiries, calls, people that I've known for years, people I don't even know. They're like, Darren, you're the streaming, live streaming guy. What do I do? What cameras do I get? How do I do this? How do I get around copyright? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, good for you. You know, I, I had my, I had, I had to put on kind of a block on it. You know I'm saying? Hey, you know, there, here's an article, go read this. Everything I know I found online for free, go find it. You should have charged them. You know, and you aren't paying, you aren't paying me a consulting fee for this, but I took, I took a step back um, for about eight months and worked on a lot of brand development and licensing deals and all that stuff to make sure we were ready and locked in to go move forward. Um, Cause everyone jumped online. They expected this. Oh, this is awesome. And then, they get minimal viewership because they had no following. They had no precursor. So bless everyone's hearts. I, I love the fact that because now that happened, I can go out and say to somebody, hey, we're a Twitch featured partner or, hey, we're a live streaming DJ show. And the two questions I used to get all the time were, what's Twitch? And I'd be like, okay, well, compare YouTube. Google owns YouTube. Amazon runs Twitch. Oh, okay. It's a multi-billion dollar. Okay. Yeah. Number two, who would want to watch a DJ online? And I said, do you ever listen to a radio show? Do you ever listen to music on your phone? Do you ever listen to me? You're basically listening to an audio track right there. This is just another distribution medium. Plus we get to have video content with it and put it in different locations and do crazy stuff. And like, oh, now everyone's like, oh, a DJ show. Oh, wow. You're a featured partner on Twitch. Ah, And I'm like, yes, I was trying to tell you this for 10 years. (laughs) <laughs> like I said, always 10 years ahead of the game. So again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate it. We'll follow up with you here later in the year. Where can people find out more information about you and what you got going on? 
Well, you can always go to www.tokadisco.com, which leads you to all the pages like SoundCloud, Tokadisco, Twitter, Tokadisco, uh, Instagram, The Real Tokadisco, and Facebook, Tokadisco. So it's if you type in Tokadisco, you will find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Roman, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Once again, this is nice to talk to you. You're welcome. Thank you for watching the DJ Sessions Presents the Virtual Sessions with yours truly, Darren Bruce and Roman, a.k.a. Toka Disco. Don't forget to go to our website, thedjsessions.com. Find us on Facebook, hashtag us, Instagram us, at mention. It's all the DJ Sessions. And you know what happens on the DJ Sessions? The music never stops.